Hello everyone, and welcome to Feed That Nation. I'm your host, Natalie Nation, and welcome to the second part of our first episode. In part A of this episode, Dr. Nula Babowski and I discussed the biological and environmental determinants of taste preference that contribute to us as humans having certain taste preferences, likes, dislikes, and so forth. What we discussed, and sort of the conclusion we came to, was that there are so many different factors that help to determine taste preference, but it feels as though a lot of them are working against us, causing us to have a dislike of vegetables that can be difficult to overcome. And there might be people out there who are thinking, if it's so difficult to enjoy vegetables, why should I try? Joining me here in conversation today to unwrap that topic is Jennifer Fritton. Jennifer is a third-year student at Hamlin University studying English and creative writing. Jennifer and I have been friends for several years. She, like me, has spent the last several years studying at her university. The difference between us is that my coursework has been all about nutrition, while hers has been focused on English and writing. Why I chose her is that we're at the same place in our educational careers, and she generously agreed to juxtapose my nutrition knowledge with her lack of nutrition knowledge to create a fun dialogue. Jennifer, like me, also disliked vegetables while growing up, so we're coming from some similar backgrounds. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Natalie. How are you today? I'm I'm doing what I can. I'm tired. <laughs> Same. So, we both grew up disliking vegetables. Mm-hmm. Can you describe, do you have any specific memories of that? Any particular memories where you're just like, wow, vegetables, ugh. Growing up, since I have a rather large family, we would have to pass all the dishes around at the beginning of a meal. And I just have vivid memories of always passing the peas past me, always passing the corn past me, always passing the beans past me. Mm -hmm. And those were the only three vegetables I ever saw growing up was frozen peas, frozen beans, and frozen corn. Mm -hmm. That was it, unless it was corn on the cob. Totally. That definitely rings true. I've heard a lot of my friends say that, like, growing up, they didn't have a ton of exposure to vegetables other than the kind that were directly from freezer to microwave to table. And I think that really has an impact. I discussed with Nula how just a tiny bit of fat and salt can really add a lot of flavor to a vegetable. Do you find now Mm -hmm. that you're older that you prefer vegetables or? I ate so many beans this summer. And it was mainly because instead of throwing the beans straight from the freezer into the microwave, we just uh, cooked them on the stovetop with butter. And they were so much better. <laughs> butter makes pretty much everything better. Not necessarily a nutritional recommendation, but definitely a taste <laughs> one. So because you've spent the last three and a half years or so studying English, I can imagine that you know the vegetables are pretty dang good for you, but maybe you don't know why. I, I know they take up part of the food pyramid or plate or whatever it is these days. It's called my plate. <laughs> they take up part of the my plate. But other than that, I know they have nutrients and I should eat them and I don't. And I need to work on that. And that is the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> that was a pretty good summary. Yep, they have nutrients. <laughs> good job. Um, To break that down just a little bit, um, we divide nutrients in the nutrition world into two categories. So you have your macronutrients and you have your Mm -hmm. micronutrients. So macronutrients are going to be like your carbohydrates and your proteins and your fats. You've heard of those, right? Yeah. So vegetables are a pretty good source of carbohydrates. And most people hear carbs and they go, oh my God, carbs. 
But really, carbohydrates are the primary source of energy for your body, particularly your brain. Um, your brain loves carbohydrates for energy. They turn them into glucose, and then that's broken down. You took biology in high school, right? Ipibao, yeah. Do you remember hearing the term ATP? Yes. That was an entire study night. Oh, yes. So your body takes, if you eat a piece of bread, it'll break down the bread into glucose molecules, which will then be turned you know, pyruvate and acetyl-CoA, and you remember all of that, into ATP, which is your body's sort of form of energy currency. So it's how mm -hmm. energy does its thing within the body. So that's really important. And your brain really loves carbohydrates. It's easiest for them to utilize, or the carbohydrates are the easiest to be utilized, and it's really awesome. So that's why vegetables are important, because they are a source of carbohydrates. I was under the impression that carbs were really just in bread and that sort of food group. Yeah, that's a really common um, conception, or I should say misconception. I mean, carbs are in bread, but they're also in pretty much any plant-based substance is hmm. going to have carbohydrates. So like fruits, vegetables, bread, potatoes, and then anything with sugar is also going to have carbohydrates because sugar is just glucose or sucrose. You think table sugar, but that's yeah. really just glucose molecules. Okay. And then the other part that's really great about vegetables is not only do they have carbohydrates, but they have a specific type of carbohydrate called fiber. Do you know what fiber is? I have heard the word in commercials. Cool. That's a start. <laughs> <laughs> so fiber is a specific type of carbohydrate that is not broken down into glucose like the rest of the carbohydrates, but because it's not broken down, it's non-digestible, um, it slows down the process of digestion in your body. So fiber because it slows down the digestion in your stomach, helps you feel fuller for longer after you eat it. We call it increasing the satiety, so your feeling of satisfaction. I need more of that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> and then the other really great thing that fiber does is in your gut, it helps to feed the good bacteria that live in your gut. Because you have everyone has bacteria that live in their large intestine. That's the gut I'm referring mm -hmm. to. And fiber helps to feed the good bacteria and make sure that the right colonies of stuff are growing. Oh. So fiber is really great. Fiber is found in vegetables. Ergo, people should eat vegetables. Am I right? Yes. <laughs> Next, I asked Jennifer about her perception of the importance of vegetables while she was growing up. Yeah, I was definitely under the impression that they were a side part of the meal that you got in if you could. And the main focus for me as a not vegetarian has been getting in the meat and that was the most important part of the meal and I needed that and if that was the only part of the meal that I got then fine. So with meals it's as a college student it's easy to just make a quick ham sandwich and grab an apple and run out the door. Mm -hmm. Vegetables aren't as <laughs> packageable. I definitely yeah that's something the same with me. It's so much easier to eat a fruit, I feel like, because a lot of the fruits are a lot more portable and they're a lot more palatable. Like apples are. are sweet. Apples are definitely more fun to eat raw than broccoli or I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of baby carrots personally. I know a lot of people are, but I think apples also sort of come in their own little packaging <laughs> or like bananas have their own wrapper. Like <laughs> that's pretty cool. But I think, yeah, that's definitely something mm -hmm. I've heard from other students as well. Yeah. After that, we brought the discussion back around to the other nutrient category, the micronutrients. Micronutrients are vitamins and minerals. So vitamins are going to be your alphabet. So your vitamin A, all mm -hmm. of your B vitamins. I think there's six or seven B vitamins. 
I could be wrong. I should know this. <laughs> um, and then vitamin C, D, E, and K are really all important because they're your alphabet of vitamins, and they do everything in your body from um, they help you see, they work with your eyesight, they help uh, your bones grow, they help keep your skin strong, um, teeth, hair, nails, pretty much everything in your body um, vitamins help with. So mm-hmm. that's why those are important. And then minerals, um, those are going to be the things you hear on the periodic table of elements. So those are going to be like your magnesium, your calcium, oh, sodium, yeah. potassium, chloride, fluoride, and so forth and so on. And those things also help with a lot of the main parts of your body, skin, hair, nails, teeth, bones, and so forth. But then um, especially uh, sodium and potassium are really important in ion transport and transporting particles into and out of a cell. Um, and they're really important in muscle contraction because um, sodium and potassium are electrolytes, like in Gatorade. <laughs> and those are really important, um, especially for muscle contraction. And what's one of the most important muscles in your body? The heart. Exactly. If you don't have enough electrolytes, your heart's not going to beat as well. Vitamins and minerals are also found in vegetables. Um, they're found in all vegetables in different amounts, but especially important are like dark leafy green vegetables. Those are some of the most nutrient, vitamin, mineral, dense vegetables we have. Um, citrus fruits are another really great one. I mean, I could name every category of fruits and vegetables, but they all have vitamins and minerals. Mm-hmm. Are you learning a lot? I am. I am learning... More than I did in high school health. Oh, yeah. We both attended the same high school, so we both took the same high school health class with the same teacher, mm-hmm. who he's really great. Nothing on him, but I would definitely say that... The um, curriculum could use some adjusting. Exactly. And I think all across the board, um, health and nutrition curricula in most schools is probably lacking. I know a ton of students who are so interested in their health, but they've had to do so much of that searching for information on their own. They didn't learn it in school or they weren't mm-hmm. presented with the information in ways that make sense or in ways that was relevant to them. I know for the most part, I was just told, you should eat this because it's good for you and never really explained how it was good for me or just how important it was that I got all of these nutrients and all the the details you gave. Mm-hmm. And so instead of really explaining why it was so important, we were just beat over the head with, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And that's exactly what you tell a teenager to get them to do what you want, right? (laughs) It's very effective. (laughs) So like you just said, there are a ton of reasons why it's important to eat um, vegetables. And I just said they have nutrients, but what does that mean? Like nutrients in vegetables, so what? But there are tons and tons of studies out there to prove through scientific research-based evidence that vegetables are linked to better health and decreased risk of health issues, particularly, I know cardiovascular disease is a big one. Um, There's a study that indicates that vegetable consumption is linked to lower risk of cardiovascular disease or heart diseases, Mm -hmm. which can be pretty harmful. I mean, you really need your heart to be working. Yep. And then there's also some interesting studies that I really want to look more into uh, that link fruit and vegetable consumption to decrease risk for mental illness. Oh. Which I think that's a pretty prevalent issue among our generation, especially. Oh, definitely. Um, so I'm really interested to read more into that research. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't, if I'm not aware of the physical benefits of vegetables, I definitely get the little, hmm, I, I had vegetables today. The satisfaction of, 
I, I did something healthy for myself that I don't usually do. Mm-hmm. And so there there is a mental side to it. Mm-hmm. Like knowing you're eating well and that sort of makes you feel better. So you want to mm-hmm. do other things to make yourself feel exactly. better. So another reason why vegetables are great and why people should eat them outside of them being nutritious, which is a pretty fantastic reason on its own, is that vegetables add a lot of flavor and variety to our diets and Humans, we as humans really like variety. Humans get bored with the same thing over and over again every day. Humans don't like that. But when you have variety, and especially when that variety comes with flavor and taste and excitement and color and texture, humans like that, and that adds a lot of pleasure and satisfaction to our diets and to our eating habits and lifestyles Mm -hmm. when we're eating lots of different types of things. That definitely is a contributing factor to why I didn't really eat vegetables growing up. Because, like I said before, it was just from freezer to microwave to table mm-hmm. with nothing added. And it was the same three growing up. So there there was no variety. There was no real flavor as part of them. So there was – I had no interest in trying it. Once I've tried it once, then I don't need to try it again because there's nothing different this time. Mm-hmm. And something, if people are talking to me and they're like, yeah, I really don't like vegetables. And I'm like, well, have you tried cooking them this way? Or have you tried preparing them this way or eating them with this? Because I found that once I started cooking more, I found that I could cook vegetables in ways that I found enjoyable. So I used to hate broccoli. But I've found now that I've, I can cook broccoli and I just fry it up in a pan. I steam it a little bit and then I let it get just a little bit brown and crispy and with a little bit of salt and pepper. And it's so good. And I never would have experienced that as a kid because I wasn't the one doing the cooking. And a lot of my vegetable experience as a kid was, you know, freezer bag into microwave into bowl, which there's nothing wrong with that. But Nula mentioned in the last podcast that humans rarely eat raw, plain, unseasoned, poorly cooked vegetables. Like humans like when vegetables are prepared well, right? Mm -hmm. So I definitely think there's something to be said about learning to cook vegetables in different ways or even trying vegetables in ways that you wouldn't have expected. Definitely. Um, Like sweet potatoes is another good example because I never really liked the sweet potato, marshmallow, brown sugar, maple, whatever, casserole, squishy orange thing that always (laughs) appears on holiday tables. (laughs) I just never really liked that. I didn't find it appetizing. But once I got older and started preparing different foods for myself, I found that I could cube up a sweet potato, like slice it into cubes and roast it in the oven with salt and pepper, garlic powder, maybe some cayenne, olive oil, and that made it super, super good. And I never would have thought of trying that because all I had experienced growing up was just orange mush. Do you find there are vegetables now that you like that you didn't like as a kid? Pretty much most of them. Most of them? Yeah. Um, Well, for one thing, a lot of the vegetables I try now, I am trying for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then I'm also trying them just in dishes. Mm -hmm. And so... Peppers are vegetables, right? Peppers are vegetables. Okay. Over the summer, um, I stayed at my brother's, and he loves peppers, and he puts peppers in literally everything. <laughs> and so um, we added to my mom's enchilada recipe and just put every pepper we could think of inside those. And then I started experimenting with different soups, and I would just put peppers in, put um, zucchini in the soup, and so just adding vegetables to something I already know I like, maybe the flavor will get overpowered, but I'm still eating that. Mm-hmm. 
And when you're adding vegetables to a food you already like, you're sort of setting yourself up for success because exactly. you're like, wow, I love pizza. Am I going to love pizza with this vegetable on it? Maybe, maybe not. But I still love pizza. So that's already a good mm -hmm. enough motivator to try it. And if I don't like it on the pizza, I can pick it off and still have a full meal. Mm -hmm. And actually, when we're working with like really little kids on vegetables, there's something called repeat exposure. And we talked about this with Nula a little bit, but it takes up to like 11 or 12 times of trying a vegetable before you can really determine whether or not you like it. The first, I guess, 10 or 11 times that you try it, it's a sensory experience. So you're getting the taste and you're getting the mouthfeel and you're getting the mm -hmm. color and you're getting the way it feels when you crunch it. Like you're getting all of those things as a part of a sensory experience. So if you watch a baby eating broccoli for the first time, and I know you've seen those videos, they're so <laughs> funny, where the baby just makes the most terrible faces and they scrunch up their noses and they try to spit it out and they're just so shocked at this brand new sensory experience. And not to say that adults do the same thing, but I think a lot of sort of the taste aversions that adults have can be linked to, oh, I tried it once when I was really little and I haven't been exposed to that flavor since, so I still haven't sort of gotten used to the new sensory experience that it comes with. Is that 11 times, is that only with children or is it the same thing with adults? A lot of the research has been done in children, but there's also evidence to suggest that it works in adults, is okay. my understanding. Okay. I guess they need to give sweet potatoes more of a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. When I was preparing for this podcast and thinking about the types of information I should include, I talked to a dietitian named Andrea, who works in the Twin Cities. She's a private practice dietitian who's the founder of her own company called Your Family RD. And Andrea does tons of work with families with kids who are picky eaters or have um, different issues related to picky eating or those kind of habits. And when we were talking, granted, she does work with kids, but she had a lot of great tips about, um, like what I said before, trying vegetables in ways that you never would have expected. She gave a great example of her kids who didn't really like broccoli, but Trader Joe's sell the, sells these like broccoli crisps. And her kids love those. Or And then I got, I got to thinking about those trends like zoodles, like the zucchini oh, noodle fad yeah. or cauliflower rice and those types of things. And I was just like, wow, what creative and awesome ways to incorporate vegetables. Because I think a lot of times we call it the standard American diets, like the meat, potatoes, vegetable yeah. on the side, where everything's sort of separate in its own little compartment. But what a great way if you're going to have rice, have it be cauliflower rice. And then you're getting the vegetable in a new way and you get to mix it in maybe with, maybe it's underneath meat. Maybe you put sauce on it. Maybe you've got another vegetable or some kind of gravy over it. And you're getting these awesome taste exposures and it's a different texture than maybe you'd prefer. Because yeah. I think something that gets me about cauliflower and broccoli is how like tough it can be. But then with cauliflower rice, it's so small that you don't have the, you know, the chewing <laughs> and sort of the, the rubbery, um, texture that comes with sometimes cauliflower and broccoli. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely been helpful for me to try foods in different ways because the texture the texture is really altered when you do that. I've definitely experienced that. Um, I, controversial opinion, I'm not a fan of mashed potatoes and it's solely because of the texture. I cannot stand it. Mm -hmm. And if mashed potatoes had been my only exposure to potatoes, I would be missing out on so much. Exactly. <laughs> I have lived off fries. I love fries are the only 
potato I can think of now. <laughs> potato <laughs> chips. Potato chips, hash browns, ro- like roasted potatoes. Yeah. Things like Baked that. Baked potatoes. Baked potatoes with cheese. Ooh, yes. Mm. Yes. And that's another point Andrea and I were talking about is that you don't necessarily have to exclude a vegetable because it's got cheese on it. Like broccoli with cheese on it is still broccoli, right? Mm-hmm. As like a future dietitian and nutrition educator, I think that's a really important point to make that like people, oh, broccoli with cheese, cheese isn't very good for you, shouldn't eat it. And granted, like maybe for some people, they really shouldn't be eating cheese depending on their medical condition. But for the general public, broccoli with cheese on it is still pretty nutritious. You're still getting all of the nutrients from the broccoli and the cheese is helping it to taste good. So Plus you get dairy from the cheese. Exactly. Nutrients right there. One of my own personal biggest tips for trying new foods and especially vegetables and trying to overcome dislikes is to take baby steps. I think a lot of people, when they want to change a habit, they think they need to just dive in, go big or go home. And what I would tell people is if you've never, ever liked cauliflower and you're trying to like cauliflower, do not go out and buy a whole head of cauliflower, chop it up and try to like force it down your throat plain and raw. That's not going to work for most people. It's going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be very unsatisfied. It's not going to be very fun. So I definitely say, like, take baby steps. And like we were talking about before, like, if you put vegetables on your pizza and you take a few bites and you're just, like, really not a fan of it, you can pick them off. You had the sensory experience. Next time, try to take a few more bites before you pick it out. Or next time, maybe try a different vegetable or cook it a different way. For me, like, raw tomatoes in sub sandwiches really get me. I think they're slimy and weird. I'm with you on that. Exactly. And I'm trying to overcome that sort of dislike for the texture that I have. So if I put a tomato in a sandwich and I take a few bites, sometimes I'll be okay. Sometimes I'm having a good day. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm really not feeling it. So then if I've taken those few bites, I pull the tomato out, you know, sigh a little bit, and then I say I'm going to try again another time. I am only now able to eat... Uh, tomatoes in sub sandwiches because I peer pressured myself into it. You peer pressured yourself. I did. I was at a grad party and it had been catered and there were sub sandwiches and I had grabbed one and I didn't realize there was a tomato in there. And now I'm surrounded and having a conversation with all my friends. I do not have a napkin with me. I cannot (laughs) gracefully just hold on to a slice of tomato and not make it weird. So I just... (laughs) Ate the rest of my sandwich and pretended nothing happened and moved on with my conversation solely as to not make a scene. Mm -hmm. And so I got some tomato that day. I think it was a little bit of societal pressure that got me on the track to eating vegetables because when I was 18, I wanted to become a dietitian, right? And one of my very good friends pointed out to me that I cannot be a dietitian who doesn't eat vegetables. (laughs) And I was like, you're right. That would be so hypocritical of me. Let's let's jump on the bandwagon here. Let's try to make some positive change. And it was really hard, and it took me a really long time. But now I keep talking about how much I hated broccoli. The other day, people, I made broccoli and cheese soup. It was so good. And I will go out of my way to buy broccoli at the grocery store now, and I will cook it, and I will put it in things. And it took me a really long time to get to this point, but I'm really proud of myself. Jennifer and I got a little off topic next, discussing our experiences with trying to find vegetables and eating well in our school cafeterias. Now an upperclassman, Jennifer had some good comments about how lack of knowledge and education can impact making independent food choices and keeping nutritious food around the house. And even now as I'm in an apartment, we usually, 
as an apartment, we have we have a cute little fruit bowl, and one of us will buy bananas or clementines, and that will sustain all of us for until someone else goes grocery shopping. No, I'm hearing that. Um, I have a friend, and he lived in an apartment full of guys, and granted, these are all guys, so no hate on guys. <laughs> But um, their grocery shopping experience would be they all go out and they get all their meat, their chicken and their, you know, their beef and their ground pork for spaghetti sauce or whatever. And then they get all their bread that they need and then they get the cheese and then they get like one onion and one pepper and maybe a bag of spinach. And that's it for the week for all four of them. And I feel like that's a really common experience where people might not necessarily know that you need more vegetables than that. I mean, all of the guys in that apartment were computer science majors. So again, they're like you, they're very educated, but Mm -hmm. they don't have the, their education focused in on nutrition. Exactly. I think my single bag of frozen beans is the only vegetable I've really seen in our apartment since we moved in a few months ago. Mm -hmm. As someone who is quite educated, you're nearly done with your college experience. Mm -hmm. You've got lots of schooling under your belt, but not so much schooling in nutrition like I have. Mm -hmm. Do you think that nutrition education is important? Oh, definitely. I, I mean, I think it's important. It's my entire like <laughs> livelihood at this point. But what do you think? This is all information I wish I had a lot sooner before my habits for living on my own had really been kind of set. I wish I had known how beneficial vegetables are so that I could form more of my meal habits around them instead of focusing solely in on the protein aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Next, I asked Jennifer if there was anything else about vegetables that she was curious about or that she wanted to ask me. Is there anything you've found that is something that should be widely known other than vegetables are very good for you that would help a, a college student like me be healthier? Um, that's a great one. Um Yeah, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine once, and he knows I'm a dietetics major, so he sort of, he approached it kind of cautiously. I think he thought I was going to make fun of him, but he asked me, and he was very genuine about the question. He was like, so if I don't eat any vegetables, is that bad? And I will just have everyone know that I did not laugh at him. I, you know, I took him seriously because I think it's hard for people to ask those questions when you have no base of knowledge and you're just so curious, but you don't want to be, I guess, rebuked or Mm -hmm. laughed at. So, and what I told him was he caught me a little bit off guard, but he, he's like a young adult, probably college age, I think at that point. And when you're feeling good and you're a young adult and you're eating whatever and you have lots of energy Sometimes it's hard to feel like, why should I eat vegetables if I feel fine and I'm doing fine? But I think a lot of those health issues that we were talking about earlier, like the cardiovascular disease and Mm -hmm. the mental health, those things can develop over time. So like cardiovascular disease is more common in older adults. And it doesn't just happen overnight. You don't wake up one morning and you're just like, wow, cardiovascular disease. But it's something that builds up over years of having a bad habit. So I guess what I would tell college students who are just sort of like, well, why should I eat vegetables if I'm feeling good is you're feeling good now and you want to keep feeling good. And the best way to keep feeling good and to keep healthy is to keep taking care of yourself. And a really important part of taking care of yourself is to be eating right. And that includes eating vegetables. For a college student, what do you think would be the the easiest vegetable to really integrate into a diet? That's a good one. I think it depends on the person. 
Um, and it depends on where you're living. I know as a freshman in college when I was in a dorm and I didn't have as much access to... I ate a lot of baby carrots. Mm-hmm. Baby carrots are a good one. And I'd say vegetables that are easily transportable and easily either snackable or workable into meals that you're having. So baby carrots are a good one because you stick them in a Ziploc bag and you eat them or you dip them in hummus or whatever. Um, I personally think spinach is another really good one. You buy a yeah, bag of spinach yeah. and... Honestly, you could throw like a whole inch of spinach into a sandwich and eat it and you're not really going to taste it. It has such a mild taste. Mm-hmm. Or you throw a big handful of it into a fruit smoothie and it might turn a funky color, but it's you're not really going to taste it. So I think mm-hmm. spinach is another really good one and it's a dark leafy green, so it's absolutely packed with nutrients. Goes in pasta very well. Yes, spinach spinach does cook down into a lot of different things if you're cooking. I think another really versatile one um peppers and onions. Oh, that's right. I love the combination of bell peppers, green peppers, or red peppers, and onions in pasta sauce or in tacos or fajitas or in stir fries or um, on the side with chicken or cooked with broccoli or this and this and this. And I think they've got a bit of a heat because of the onion and they got Mm -hmm. a bit of the sweetness because of the peppers. And I think that's a really great combination. And I find them really easy to cook and fairly easy to eat. And again, it's personal preference, but I really love peppers and onions, and I cook with them a lot. So, and I think for people who maybe know that they should be eating vegetables, and maybe even people who don't necessarily dislike vegetables so much as they just, like, don't usually encounter them in their everyday life. And I've been telling people, like, if you never eat vegetables, you're not going to go from zero to 60. It's like we were talking about earlier. You're not going to go from no vegetables to five servings a day like that. It's going to take some time. And it um, just as changing any lifestyle habit, it takes a long time of doing the same thing and just really integrating it and really like understanding to yourself why it's important and making it a priority. So someone who never ever eats vegetables might start and they might buy a little bag of baby carrots and they might tell themselves, okay, I'm going to eat a serving of baby carrots three times this week. Or when I was going to grab for get my potato chips to watch a bunch of YouTube, I'm going to grab my pack of baby carrots and snack on those instead. Exactly. And just sort of swapping out those other snacking habits for snacking on a vegetable. Or maybe you have a ham sandwich every single day and you pack it for lunch. Maybe you buy a bag of spinach and you say, okay, I'm going to have spinach in my ham sandwich this week and see how I like it. And just finding ways to work vegetables in sort of easily like it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be difficult you don't have to be cooking five course meals every night it doesn't have to take hours and hours like start simple that definitely helps so when I was talking to Andrea the dietitian about this podcast she brought up the idea of everybody has a food story everybody has they grew up and they had their childhood foods that their mom always made or their favorite kind of PB&J with the favorite bread and the favorite peanut butter and the favorite everything or like the special foods that you only made at holidays and things like that. And I think also for people who grew up being picky eaters, there's also in your food story the you can't leave the table till you finish your broccoli or maybe being made fun of at school for, you know, picking apart your food or like you talked about earlier, the being peer pressured to eat the tomato because you didn't want to look awkward in front of your friends. And I think Mm -hmm. something I gathered from that is 
our food stories are just a part of our story. And our food stories are not finished yet. Like, my food story is always changing. Like, I'm always going to be trying new foods and building new memories and new associations and all of these things. So I think it was a, it's such a cool concept. So I wanted to ask you, what's in your food story? A lot of missed opportunities to try Chinese food. <laughs> I don't think I had actual Chinese food till sometime in high school. And it was when I was over at Friends. And as soon as I had that, like, actual fried rice, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and it really got me thinking of just how very Midwestern my diet had been up until then. Mm-hmm. And still is to this day. It's very unseasoned. And <laughs> I, it took me till last year or something that I tried everything pizza. With a lot of vegetables, onions, those are vegetables too. Um, and for the longest time, I had just grown up eating pepperoni pizza or sausage pizza, pizza, and that's it. And the, there are definitely moments when I look back at my past decisions, and it's like Jennifer, why, why didn't you try that? It was right there you had no social obligation to nothing would have happened if you didn't like it and there's there was just no I felt no need to try anything new and it's like well what I'm eating now has gotten me this far so why should I change Mm -hmm. and there are definitely a lot of reasons why I I personally definitely need to branch out in my diet just to set myself up for a healthier future and I really there are definitely moments in my past where I wish I had pushed myself, but now that I'm aware of all this, I can know going forward that I need to be conscious of that. I need to keep my health in mind that I I do need to set aside that extra the extra bowl of ice cream and I need to have some I need to push aside another helping of pizza and just have some peas. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think when I think about my food story, I sort of divide it between before March of 2017 and after, because March of 2017 was when I went vegetarian. And I think I I originally became a vegetarian because I wanted to make a sacrifice for Lent. I wanted to give up something. And I thought, you know, going vegetarian, you know, giving up meat for Lent would be a good way to do that, a good way to just reflect and a good way to be conscious of what I was eating and a good way to keep, you know, be mindful during that season. And then I realized how good I felt because when I was vegetarian, I wasn't eating meat. So I was eating other things to fill me up. And I was eating a lot more vegetables, a lot more fruits, a lot more whole grains. And I felt so good. And this isn't to say that everybody's experience is the same as mine. But when I became a vegetarian, I sort of started a different mindset that then started driving other decisions like because I was eating better I was more motivated I had more energy so I wanted to go exercise more and then I was sleeping better because I was exercising more and then I was feeling better and having more energy when I was awake so I was you know getting more homework done and just feeling more productive and just feeling good so I think I definitely divide my food story into like part a before then and part b since then and it's so interesting to me because like high school me or middle school me would never have considered becoming a vegetarian. But now that I'm in college and I've made that decision and I'm really, I really like it. I really like the way I feel. I like what I'm eating. I like, I like everything about it, I think, except for Chinese buffets. The only vegetarian thing is the garlic bread, but um, <laughs> whatever. But I think 
that experience has sort of taught me how a food story can change and how, you know, who knows how I'm going to feel 10 years down the road. Maybe I'll be back to being a meat eater. Maybe I'll be a vegan. Who knows? But I really am looking forward to continuing to be open-minded about those changes and continuing to try lots of new foods along the way. What a great conversation we had. I love talking about nutrition with my friends, and I have a great time hearing their stories and learning about our similarities and our differences. I also enjoy getting to educate people about nutrition, a topic that I am incredibly passionate about. So a big thanks to Jennifer for coming in and being willing to chat with me and to learn from me. Also, special thanks to Andrea from Your Family RD for her insights. In my next episode, I'll be breaking down myths about the Freshman 15 with two new guests and some more great conversations. Until then, my name is Natalie Nation, and you've been listening to Feed That Nation. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.